0: Good morning. So I started doing a rosary walk this past summer. Thanks to a seminarian that could also be a drill sergeant, he prayed we prayed all 20 decades of the rosary daily this summer as we walked. And because he's very physically fit, we did so fast. Admittedly, it makes the rosary even more profound, most especially the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. As the seminarian is 30 years younger and has 0% body fat, I thought I was going to die. I called up the rosary death march. A rosary walk includes the special challenge of focusing on prayer and not what's going on around me. Otherwise, what's the point? As Jesus says in the Gospels, When you pray, do not babble on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. On that particular day... I was trying to focus on my Hail Marys when I was distracted by a man walking in front of me with a big, rambunctious puppy on the Monon Trail. I mean, it was big. Actually, the puppy was walking the man instead of the other way around. They were ahead of me, and the puppy was gasping for air as he pushed ahead and was choking due to his collar. Twice, they ended up in the ditch. I walked faster than the man, so I kept catching up to him, and when I did so, the man would nervously. Look back at me as the dog would growl and bark. You could tell the man was afraid that the dog would either jump up on me or bite me, which begs the question why they were on the Monon Trail in the first place. You know, a little stress-free walk for the passer, not so much. So to avoid me, the man would run ahead for a bit, get out ahead of me with the dog, and frankly, it started to give me a bit of a complex. But the man was doing it all wrong, I said to myself. I learned this when I had a dog. Dog trainers are very specific about making sure a puppy understands from the beginning who is in charge, who is the alpha, and who is the beta. And that means the alpha human has to insist that the beta puppy behave and receive consequences for poor decision-making, like a stern no or yank of the chain. Lessons like this that make, at first glance, stories like the prodigal son hard to take, as it seems like the same thing. This brat of a son is getting away with egregious behavior and then gets rewarded when he turns home with a party. What is this father thinking? Where are the ramifications for his poor decision-making? After all, prodigal in a biblical sense means wastefully arrogant and extravagant. But let's make something perfectly clear here. The celebration of the prodigal son's return lasted, keeping with local tradition, probably a week or so. But then the party's over, and the prodigal son will get his wish. That is, he'll be like a hired servant, maybe better off and enjoying certain privileges. But he'll be forever dependent on his father, and then later his brother. He'll have no inheritance when his father dies, as he already spent it. His father makes that clear when he says to his older son, That everything I have is yours. Besides, at the particular moment in the story, the elder son wasn't looking about and worrying about the inheritance, though that would certainly most eventually come up, up. For the most, and for that moment, he was angry because he never got a party with his friends. In other words, when is it my turn? The parable hits close to home for a lot of people because it dredges up images of bad parenting of a rogue child or old sibling rivalries or inheritance arguments and the like, but that's not the point of the story. The parable reminds me of the parable of the workers in the vineyard where the question is, what's fair? The elder brother clearly has a long-standing resentment, and perhaps justifiably so, and that he tries to turn his father against his younger brother. Look what he's done, is the essence of his remarks. How can you reward a man like this? It's very important to note that the father doesn't deny the sins of his son. He doesn't defend him either. Because this isn't the point of the celebration at all. What matters is that the father and prodigal son are putting all that behind them because that's how God deals with us when we sin and wander away from him, including the older brother who is so embittered. This reflects several Old Testament passages that Jesus' audience would recognize, like Isaiah 38, verse 17, you cast all my sins behind your back. Or Micah 7:19, you will cast into the depths of the sea all our sins. Or Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins. And St. Paul says in the second reading today, see this sees it's the same reality in his own life. I have been mercifully treated. The problem with the prodigal son is that he is a sinner like all of us, but he's also a public sinner. Everyone knows and sees what he's done. It's quite embarrassing, really. Something we know all too, all too much about in the modern day. For we certainly love a scandal, and the Father people fall down from grace so that we can shake our Pharisaic hands and our head and put our fingers out in disgust when someone gets caught. Never mind that this mentality makes us Pharisees as our sins are just more private in nature. Can't tell you how many people that God has asked me to sit with that became public sinners overnight, men and women, who have committed indiscretions that have ended up on the news and some behind bars. It's truly a hard place from which to rebound. And often I even have to fight off the propensity to judge in my mind and to focus on being the face of Jesus to any sinner. All these things speak of a new beginning, a grace given to us by God, something that the devil hates He would rather us have his thumb on the back of our heads, pushing our face in the mud where we belong, where we always remember the mistakes of our past. But Jesus insists that his return to his senses is still worth celebrating. This is the goal of the ministry of reconciliation that the priests are involved in when we have the sacrament of reconciliation. The father doesn't love his elder son any less than the younger And what the elder son doesn't get is that he doesn't love him anymore as well. The elder son thinks he's entitled to be the favorite. He's earned it. Jesus in this parable makes it clear that that isn't the case. The first two parables in today's gospel are about the lost coin and the lost sheep are less problematic because they involve no conflicting relationships. And the third one, however, the elder son turned the story around and makes it about himself and his selfishness. He couldn't see beyond his own hurts. But all three parables make the same point, that there is more joy over one repentant sinner And that joy should also be our joy. That's why Christ came. So one repentant sinner, be it public or private, is cause for rejoicing, not judgment. So this is potentially about all of us, this parable, when we come to our senses and return to the Lord.